You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 297, we're discussing Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And we have a very special guest joining Troy and myself this evening in the Nerd Room to discuss Ghostbusters Afterlife after his rave and very brave review on Twitter. We've invited none other than Emmett onto the podcast here to break down this big monumental film. Emmett, welcome back to the Nerd Room. How are you doing, brother? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, that's quite the introduction, Tim. Uh, thanks so much. And I'm uh, so very happy to be here. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's going to be an absolute riot breaking this film down. Now, guys, we're going full spoiler off the bat here. We're going to unchain ourselves from any sort of restrictions. So if you've ha- not seen the film, make sure to go check that thing out because there's a lot we're going to talk about here that's going to spoil some of the big moments in this film. And we're going to kind of really go right into it. So, Emmett. Troy, I got to hear first, before we dive into Afterlife itself, the film experience was was very nostalgic, I think, for, for most of us here. From across fandom, a lot of people using this word nostalgic, bringing you back to your childhood, bringing you back to the late 80s and the Ghostbusters films that most of us grew up with. And given that it's been such a nostalgic experience, I want to first just kind of take a pulse check on our personal histories with Ghostbusters. You know, was it the 84, 89 Ghostbusters 2 films? Was it the real Ghostbusters cartoon that we likely all got up and watched on Saturday mornings? Or was it the toys that you have a connection with here in Ghostbusters? So I'm going to go to you first. You know, being our guest here on the podcast, tell us a little bit about your legacy, your history with the Ghostbusters franchise. Um, Well, it's interesting. You know, the, the first one came out in 84. I wasn't born yet. And then the second one came out in 89 and I was only three years old. Um, so I kind of grew up experiencing the Ghostbusters in the past, as it were. Like, I obviously wasn't around for the phenomenon of what 84, uh, the first Ghostbusters was and how, like, the biggest movie of the world. But, you know, I had all the toys. I had the Proton Pack. I had the Ghost Trap. I didn't watch the real Ghostbusters as much. Um, and I'm not really sure why. I think that came out in 86. So that was the year I was born. So I don't really know why I wasn't watching that as much. Um, maybe I was too scared, a uh, little wimpy kid scared of ghosts, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I experienced and enjoyed and appreciated the Ghostbusters much like I do everything now more in my adult and teen years mm-hmm. where I can understand and accept and appreciate what the movie is. Even when you think about it, like the, the actors in the movies, the uh, topics, the themes of the original Ghostbusters, it's not really kiddie. It's not super kitty. No. You know, Bill Murray he ain't no kids, uh, kids comedian, you know, Daryl, uh, you know, Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, they're not kids comedians. So, um, you know, experiencing it and appreciating it more now, um, in my life, that's what I've done. And I think it works better. You know, Bill Murray, um, is one of the greatest comedians of all time is the greatest one. And, you know, I appreciate him more now and I can watch Ghostbusters any day of the week. It's still funny now as it is the first time I saw it. But growing up as a kid, just because of the, the the time it came out, I didn't really experience the, um, you know, the big opening of it and the yeah, the stuff mm-hmm. as a kid. 
but I grew into it as I as I grew older. And you know, I can watch them any day of the week. They're still some of the most quotable movies, oh, yeah. uh, you know, comedy movies ever. Um, and you know, I didn't know that I loved them as much as I did um, because of how emotional I got with Afterlife. Um, and that's kind of a thing we'll get into later. You know, you talk about Harold Ramis and, you know, e- Egon Spengler. I didn't know that I loved Egon so much, you know, <laughs> in, until I saw Afterlife and I realized, oh, man, there he is. So, you know, uh, I, I, I just like to think that I, I, I'm a Ghostbuster uh, a fan now more than I ever was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very well put. It's interesting that you say that about kind of growing up with the franchise and the original films, you're, you're very correct that they are not kid films, right? And they're comedies. They were darker comedies that dealt with themes. And it's really the the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, that got a lot of kids into it. I, too, wasn't born when Ghostbusters 1 came out. 89, I was around. Real Ghostbusters kind of hitting in that space. The toys were a major piece of what got me into Ghostbusters. But it's funny because th- th- this is such a, a generational thing. Like my dad loves Ghostbusters for different reasons, right? He was he saw it in the theater, and then we got to experience it together in the cartoon. And then you kind of roll with it and you grow with it. It it almost is like as a kid you experience one Ghostbusters. And like you're saying, as an adult, you experience a completely different Ghostbusters. And this film itself almost melded both of those experiences together and kind of created a new foundation for it. So, Troy, you and I are about the same age. Mm-hmm. I think we went through a very similar progression here. But but talk to me a bit about Ghostbusters as a child and then as you move into your adult life. Yeah, man. For me, you know, pretty similar to Emlet 2, but it's it's it mostly comes down to the toys and the music. I, I, I would never... I think it's Ghostbusters 2, the Bobby ba- Bobby Brown, uh, you know, soundtrack <laughs> score. Uh, I thought that was so cool. But the toys, man, even behind me, I got some of those toys still. And um, I had such a huge liking to those things. And it was the cartoon series. It was the the real Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. There's another show had nothing to do with Ghostbusters, but it, that was also called Ghostbusters. And at the time, yeah. I kind of had them all jambled together. But I loved Peter. I loved the whole cast of characters. And then never got to experience them on the big screen. We went back... A, little while ago actually did a little recap yeah, i believe of the mid-pandemic movies. yeah through, yeah that's right and, and so it's kind of cool to go back and uh you know just walk through uh memory lane there um but man i gotta say it's um it's the toys that really just mm-hmm. brings it all together for me here and um it's been cool to kind of relive it too just with like the merchandise being re-released again last year i think it was and mm-hmm. you know going to the toy shelves now and seeing all the new merch for like the new generation of kids and um yeah, it's just, it's really something kind of fascinating in my opinion. But um, my love's grown quite a bit over these years now without even touching the movies, just with like this new movie coming back. And I'm actually kind of one of the fans of the, the 2016. Like I didn't really hate yeah. it as much as most people did. I liked it too. So yeah, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. So um, but I guess we'll get into it. But I really do like where we're going mm-hmm. uh, forward with this franchise. I'm all there for it, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the toy stuff for me too. That's how I found myself back in in a major way. I think again, like most things, you kind of were a little ahead of the game grabbing those re-release Ghostbusters, and that got my wheels spinning in my head. And now I'm sitting in front of a, a fairly large Ghostbusters collection, <laughs> a vintage Ghostbusters collection, because in the pandemic it became kind of a, a a nice tie to my dad, and we collected together. He sent me stuff. We talked about stuff, and so it was kind of this cool pastime that I think a lot of people had with collecting throughout the pandemic. And Ghostbusters was the one that kind of floated to the top. And 
pair that with this new film release, like you're saying, all these toys going to the shelves, all those retro remakes of the packaging, the Ghost Popper, the Ecto One. You could you could see that all on the shelf now. Yeah. And so like we're reliving our childhoods because that was it for me too. The real Ghostbusters, but the toys. That's what I've carried through mostly into my childhood. And I reintroduced the movies to my wife, one and two, and she said, I don't want to watch these, but then she found herself just watching them. She's like, she said to me, I don't want to watch this right now, but I can't, we can't turn it off. And so the, the Ghostbusters seems to have just this pull and it's not like a Star Wars or Marvel thing that's been there for my whole life. I, it's only recently, but there's something about this franchise that is just so welcoming, so endearing. And the nostalgia, it is real with this one, especially with those card backs that we're seeing mm. on the shelves right now. Those purple card backs, you can't turn away from it. But let's let's jump into to Afterlife a bit more. We've kind of set our foundation there. And I want to take a cue from Carlos, who's not here tonight, very obviously. He's taking a little break from, from this one. But he does this thing where he lets us unpack at the start here. You know, full spoilers and just... Give our thoughts up front here, and then we can take a breath and go into a bit more detail. So, Troy, walking out of Ghostbusters Afterlife, tell me, mm-hmm. tell me your thoughts here, your initial reactions to the film in a couple sentences. This this was a blast. This is a lot of fun. Um, you know what? I know the bar's been set pretty high when it comes to things like Stranger Things and Super 8 and Goonies era, and, you know, uh, was it Stand By Me, and all that stuff. But I feel like this movie, since the Goonies, has done the best job. At least that first act has done, in my opinion, it's, it's been my favorite with, like, that that childhood, like, adventure and scary kind of, like, mm-hmm. jump scares, and you know what I mean? And then, that, like, that new encounter with that new friend, that first act to me just, oh. So, walking out of the film, man, I, I had a lot of fun. And like I said, I did like 2016s, but I felt like this is the right step in the right direction for a full-fledged new franchise to go forward. So I, I had a blast with this one. A lot of fun and pretty funny. Pretty funny, too. Yeah. 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 How about you, Emmett? Um, yeah. I remember before I left the theater, as soon as the credits rolled, after the first after credit scene, sitting there and kind of not believing how much I liked the movie because mm-hmm. I I had I had high expectations for it especially after the first trailer like the the one from a long time ago even with just showing the ecto in the barn um, but then after the first real trailer when I'm like oh they're doing nostalgia right because um, other movies have done it okay or totally 100% wrong so I remember sitting in the theater saying wow I can't believe how much I like this movie um is you know is is as goofy as it was sometimes but the nostalgia is there it's incredibly heartwarming it's very funny um you know and i i i didn't expect to be so emotional watching the movie either um but i i like to think that the movie is good from the first minute all the way until the last minute um and the stuff that is the last 15 minutes of the movie if that stuff wasn't in the movie i would have still loved this movie and I think mm-hmm. that's an important thing for me. And I think for a lot of people that, you know, are kind of poo-pooing the idea of, oh, it's too nostalgic and it, you know, it, it relies too heavily on the first movie or whatever. Um, that this It's a good movie without the, the last 15 minutes because of the mm-hmm. great cast, because of how funny it is. Um, and because of how I think Jason Reitman, um, how he does an incredible job at directing the hell out of this movie. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you guys. I smile smiling ear to ear 
when this when the credits rolled on this one. I also had very high expectations going into this. This was my most anticipated movie for this year. The trailers really did it for me. Their promo into this, the campaign that they ran, it really sold me on the idea of what this film was going to be. And it was a return to the Ghostbusters. It was a return to the familiar places that we've been, the familiar sounds that we've heard, but also it was going to be a bridge to something different and something bigger. And to me, it achieved all of that and then some. This exceeded my expectations. I didn't think I was going to feel this way about this movie walking out in a million years because I just didn't think it could meet the expectations and that nostalgic feeling that we were all hoping for to actually deliver on that numerous times on the film is very difficult thing to do. And expectations seem to be the thing that actually plagues a lot of these movies now. We walk in up here and we walk out. They didn't meet our expectations. Whether it's a good film or not, it was about our expectations and nothing else. And so the fact that this was able to meet that and just engross me for two hours. Again, I like to say that the movie theater is the one place on earth you can go and do one thing. You are focused on the screen. You're not looking at your phone. You're not talking to other people. You're rarely even now <laughs> even eating anymore because of the way we have to go into the theaters. And the fact that I got to sit there and experience what I would consider the perfect sequel for Ghostbusters, I can't say better things. Like, this did everything right, in my opinion. Yeah, like you said, there's a few goofy parts, and there's some leaps that the audience is asked to make, but we're talking about Ghostbusters here. They blew up a giant marshmallow man. A guy came out of a painting in number two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have to suspend some of those those beliefs and that grounded feel that sometimes people are chasing to appreciate the nuances and appreciate what they're doing in this film. And I have to say to, to this, it's okay to make a film for fans. It's okay to be nostalgic. It's okay to deliver on those expectations of being a true sequel to Ghostbusters 1 and 2. On the flip side of that, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. This thing's getting kind of beat around by critics. I don't know why. I don't know if we're watching the same film or we're watching it through the same lens. I think a lot of the criticism is that, yeah, like you said, Emmett, it relies a lot on nostalgia. But that's where its strengths are. And then it introduces this whole new subset of characters and dimensions to this franchise that nicely append on to this grander narrative that we're actually getting pulled through 32 years later and so i say you know what the critics can go and watch whatever movie they want i'm gonna happily sit here and discuss with you two for the rest of the night ghostbusters afterlife and the box office it delivered as well this thing had almost 48 million dollars or so 44 million dollars on its opening weekend which puts it reasonably close to the latest james bond film dune that did have an hbo max day and date release as well so it's probably pulled that down but it's sitting in a space where this will likely get a sequel and we've seen that built into to this movie and so that excites me that this movie did well enough it's got the reception it's got the fan support which is important so let's get into the film here a little bit now i'm gonna go i'm gonna go back to troy on this one here because the score the look and the aesthetic of the film is something that that we talk about a lot here in the nerd room and the importance of the score playing a role in the film so troy talk to me about the score here and I know, I know it touched you in certain parts. Cause like, <laughs> I, I, like for me, it was mind blowing in, in certain mm. areas and the actual look and the aesthetic of this whole thing. Like, was it a, a right amount of nostalgia, a right amount of bringing in that new filmmaking? 
and and doing what they had to do to make you feel immersed in the experience yeah yeah okay so starting with the score um i was feeling it i like the score yeah. a lot and um especially in the early parts again going back to the uh the first act it was cool because i had these these feels of like that that meatballs you know that that uh breakfast club like all that kind of like the 80s kind of like yes. young high school kind of movies and, and i actually thought we we're going to go a little more into that which i kind of would have preferred just a little bit just a little bit but um i did love that Another thing, though, is because Tim and I, where we're from, I honestly could not help but see the set mm-hmm. locations the whole time because it was it was filmed in our backyard, basically. And so a lot of times watching this film, I'm like, oh, my God, like, and there's the Walmart, too, that I heard about yeah. and like all these little things. And I was just like, wow, like I, I work out there quite a bit of time. So I thought that was really cool. And uh, you know what, though, is a refreshing to have that setting as opposed to the original Ghostbusters and even like the extreme Ghostbusters cartoon and all the other Ghostbusters car- or like platforms that have come out since it's always been the big city. And it was really cool to kind of bring it back to like a farm kind of base, small town feel. I thought that actually did wonders for the film. So that worked for me on all levels. And then the overall look too, I really like how um, it was filmed. I really did mm-hmm. dig it. I, I did get a little bit of the Abrams vibe yes. from the super eight. Um, but it, but it worked for me, and there wasn't any overkill on the um, the uh, what's it what's the lens, lens flares. flares? Yeah, those those were toned down quite a bit. But overall, it was good, especially to like uh, the action sequences, how they did the Ecto one. That mm. was that was impressive. But the biggest thing, and we'll get into it too, um, the way they brought back. Are we going into spoilers and all that stuff right yeah, now? Yeah, full or? spoilers, man. Yeah. Okay, so the way they shot that opening with um, with Egon was mm-hmm. was brilliant it was brilliant because yeah. they didn't really really rely too much on actually doing like the whole um what's that technique it's called now like not that not the deep fake but you know what i mean like the, yeah, the kind of like cap that, of, yeah yeah they didn't really rely on it because really like it was like it could have been a different actor but they just cut around it in such a great way and it's mm-hmm. like with the angles and the hair and like the, even the body posture that you're like okay that's that's definitely egon and the way they filmed that was amazing but then they took it a step higher when they came back full circle and actually brought him out Mm-hmm. force ghost styles i was like wow <laughs> and um you know what man i, d- I didn't want to really do this but like this is ghostbusters and this is cool but for me i could not help but be like they did this in ghostbusters so well and me being the star wars guy i've been dying since episode seven episode eight episode nine to get anakin some cool ghost force um force ghost to pop up and the way they did it in ghostbusters I'm not even connected to Ghostbusters as much as I am with Star Wars. And it hit me like, wow, this is amazing. Egon's not even my guy. But I'm like, you missed this chance to do this with Anakin. I'm like, episode nine and eight and seven. My goodness. So anyways, I applaud um, the whole team over at um, the Ghostbusters team for, for making that happen. Because I thought that that moment for me was, was yeah. probably the best thing in this film. It was absolutely perfect. Perfect. So yeah. that's my little tangent there. Yeah. yeah, we'll deep dive into that yeah. in, in just a yeah. few minutes, actually, because it's yeah. such an important point. Yeah, of the movie. it's such a surprising piece of the movie, oh, too. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Emmett, the, the look of this, I think, was very important in being successful in not only setting up that nostalgic tone, but also setting up this like the idea and concept of, of to where we were. And I really want to bring Troy's point here about this being kind of in a farm setting outside of the city. This allowed them to shoot on in physical locations. Like they spent a summer here in Alberta where Troy and I live uh, about three hours North of us filming this whole thing, the town, the Walmart, all the, the, the looks of the landscape when they're up in the mountains and all that, that is all here. It's all physical. And I was talking actually to some people that are part of the Calgary Ghostbusters group. 
and they're seeing like the Ecto one rolling around up north all summer and going to these set locations and seeing Harold Ramis's truck or Egon's truck from that opening sequence and them closing down Main Street and seeing the was it the Somerville Police Department, mm. all the cars and the set dressings and all this. And so you could really feel that in this film, these these on set and like that whole Ecto one, the like they might have touched it up with CJ, but a lot of that is physical. And that makes a huge difference in this film that it doesn't feel like it's in a box for the most part. There, there's there's one sequence that feels like it's a bit in a box. But but let, let's hear your thoughts on the score, the look, the aesthetic, and, and really how this was pulled together and the importance of it looking the way it did. Yeah, well, it is important. You're right. And it's important because it's important in the story as well. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, For them to be on a farm and to be out of New York City, it makes sense in the story. So it's not just like they're on a farm yeah. and there's ghosts there, you know. Um, you know, and as much as like New York City is like a, a, a secondary character in Ghostbusters 1 and 2, um, you know, the feel of the city, the the people of, of New York City, that, that's the same for Somerville. You know, the kids that Trevor hangs out with in at the diner, that, that's a that's a, a feeling that you get, um, you know, and, and, and Phoebe at a small town summer school. Um, and, you know, Egon being the dirt farmer, you know, all that stuff, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> Uh, in the story, so mm-hmm. I, I like that they they went out of, out of New York City, and I like that um, you know they they gave it a purpose. Like I said, if they just put them there and there was no reason for it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked as well for me. Um, but you know the, the family being um, you know embraced in the town as well. Um, like I said, it it it, I don't, it was for me uh, kind of weird seeing a Walmart. Um, considering there is a small town diner, a summer school, um, you know, a, a crappy little movie theater with the, that's playing Cannibal Girls on it. Um, you know, seeing a big blue Walmart's really strange. So I don't know what it's like for you guys actually living there. That's got to be feel more strange than anything, I think. Um, but, you know, it's that's that that's a real it's a real life thing. Like you said, Tim, you know, that that's people saw real Ghostbusters, you know, and Ghostbusters things in their town. Um, you know, and I like the mine stuff, too. You know, Shandor's mine. Yes. All that stuff worked for me. Um, and they brought, like, that's another thing, how they, they, they work nostalgia into it. You know, bringing back Shandor into a mine, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and bringing, you know, Trevor and his friends there. And I, I also like that about it, too, the aesthetic of, you know, uh, real-life kids. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about Stranger Things at the start. You know, that, that show works a lot for me, works a lot for uh, my daughter who watches it because she sees herself. Um, you know, yeah. in, in those kids. So people watching this, kids who are watching this, you know, th- those are regular people. Um, you know, Lucky, uh, Trevor's uh, wannabe girlfriend and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, all that stuff makes sense. And, you know, um, Carrie Coon's character makes the joke about how it, there even is a, a roller uh, drive-in uh, like a restaurant or whatever. You know, that it makes sense because it's like a one one horse town, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I love the aesthetic. I love the idea of Somerville, and I like uh, Troy said about the music. I think the yeah. music works so well because it felt like Ghostbusters, but that also amplified it a little bit, just mm-hmm. that little bit notch up. You know, in the action scenes, especially um, with the Ecto, um, which were some of my favorites. You know, action scenes of, out of all the Ghostbusters, because when you think about the Ghostbusters one or two in action scenes, you know, you mm-hmm. think of maybe the Scolari <laughs> brothers or something in Ghostbusters two, <laughs> you know, again, very confined, like you were saying, Tim. So like as small as Somerville was, they actually made it pretty large yeah. with the mine and the characters and the setting and all that. That's kind a of great stuff. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And come on guys, the, the sound design in this whole thing, like when they flipping on the proton packs, 
the like the two keys like goosebumps baby yeah the sound design in this thing is impeccable the sound of the the ecto one it has a gunner seat there's there's so much that cues you there that even if it's it is on purpose but even if it wasn't right that that zooms you right back to those films like simple sounds that are so definitively connected and iconic in this franchise that just whip you back immediately and Mm -hmm. that brings such a huge element of of excitement to how they're pulling all of this together and it's just so engrossing now let, let's let's talk about the, the, the story a bit here. You know, we've kind of established that the look is is incredible here, but the and you guys touched on a little bit of this that the fact that this is actually a true sequel to Ghostbusters one particularly one and two because it's all in the same universe, but this pulls a lot of the threads from Ghostbusters one and uses that as a foundation to build Egon's story and eventually the story of the ghost reemerging here. You know, we, we see a lot of things that we've seen before. Gozer, the terror dogs, the key master and the gatekeeper, proton packs, all the traps that we're seeing. You know, the, the one thing that kind of got me thinking in this as I'm watching all of this come together, a lot of familiar pieces being laid down in front of us. And I don't know if it's a great comparison, but the Force Awakens started ringing in my head a little bit here where it's like this huge scoping film and you're seeing a lot of familiar stuff but you're introduced to a whole new set of mm-hmm. characters that are inside of this universe, but it all just seems to work. And so, Troy, you're not in agreement here about the, yes. the CFA comparison and, and what they're able to do where they're recreating a lot, but they're also paving their own way in, yeah. in certain directions too. Yeah, I totally picked up on that, and I couldn't help but see that throughout the whole film. Not like it was like a pound-for-pound pound like copy of what J.J. Yeah. did over there, but you could just not help but feel like that organic nature of like, this is actually like a continuation from an established franchise, you yeah. know, and even more so in this film better than the force awakens, because I felt like they didn't have any weird, like mandate of being able to like reference certain characters and stay away mm-hmm. from others. Like I felt like everything was on the table and yeah. you could connect Egon, you could connect any ghostbuster you wanted. Whereas force awakens was kind of weird. Like I love force awakens it's actually one of my top three Star Wars films, but it was weird because it felt like, okay, you can use this much Han, but you can't use this much Luke. You can't use this much yeah. Leia. You can't talk about the prequels. It was weird, but this film just, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. this film just went right in, and and I really applaud it for that. And um, the character development, too. Like, you know, like I like the trailers, but I think it was the first reveal when we talked about it. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Like, the whole story kind of focused around, like, these new kids. I don't know if I'm really up for that, because, I mean, since, like, Extreme Ghostbusters, we haven't really gone that route with, like, the kids. It's always mm-hmm. been, like, basically adults. So... I was a little worried and it actually worked and became like my favorite part of this yes. film is I, I think um, uh, McKenna Grace, is it that like the main star Egon's granddaughter, she was incredible yeah, in this she role. Was like, awesome. She mm-hmm. annihilated. And I, I was just rooting for her the whole time. Podcast uh, introduction is another highlight for my, yeah, for, Logan for my Kim, that kid was so, awesome. He, he was great. I, I think they actually outdid um uh, Trevor. Uh, the, and he obviously has a lot of experience, you mm-hmm. know, from Stranger Things and It and all that. But I feel like those two kind of just ran with it and, and took it for themselves. So, yeah, man, I I, oh, I can't wait to get more of those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Emmett, this this to me also felt like a bit, a bit of a bridge film. It was filling in a lot of the story that we were missing that 30 years after, which, again, is, is kind of funny because it's a bit of the, the TFA as well, right? <laughs> 30 years later. But it also does some work to set up new grounds for, I don't know if it's going to be these kids, but it's it might be 
a whole new set of Ghostbusters, but it does the work here to, to bridge this. So this being a, a true sequel, did it work for you that it, it kind of was exactly that, right? It didn't shy away from being a follow-up to those two movies that were, were put out more than 30 years earlier than this. I think that's exactly how you should do it, is you pay respect mm-hmm. to what's come before and you build on what's mm-hmm. to come next. Um, and yes. I think what happens with Afterlife is they build it in, it can go two separate ways. Um, you stick in Somerville with uh, with McKenna and, and uh, Trevor and uh, Gary Gruberson um, <laughs> and uh, Gary Coon's character. And then you go the other way with, uh, obviously, in the after credit scheme with Winston and whoever mm-hmm. drives the Ecto into into the, the fire station, right? You know, his son or whoever. And, and you move forward in that way. So... Um, that's exactly how you should do it. You know, it ha- it, ha- it gets you excited for what's to come next. And mm-hmm. I hope for hell there's a next because oh, they can yeah. go a lot of different places. And, you know, I, you know, Troy said it, McKenna Grace is the star of this movie. Yes. She is absolutely incredible. And she, you know, I first saw her in The Haunting of Hill House back in 2018, 2017, the, mm-hmm. the TV show on Netflix. She's outstanding. You know, she's a real up and comer and I hope to see her in a lot more stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting about, you know, he, Troy also said how po- podcast outweighs Trevor. I think that's kind of on purpose as yes. well, too. You know, Finn Wolfhard's got his own stuff going on. You know, he, he's got his own, you know, acting career and acting life. I don't think he's going to want to get to, you know, bogged down, but, you know, tied down to a, a Ghostbusters franchise, you know, podcast, you know, his, uh, the actor is incredibly, a very young guy, um, has, uh, you know, very Venkman qualities to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what they were going for. Um, and you know, th- that's how they build, you know, McKenna and, uh, or, um, uh, Phoebe and, and podcast that they're, they're, they're the team now moving forward, you know, and, yeah. you know, Finn Wolfhard, he can go to school, he can go to college and do whatever he wants. And that's fine too. But, you know, it's all about the young kids to me, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about the two. It's all about, uh, Phoebe and, and podcast. Yeah. You guys have really nicely segued into talking about the characters a bit more. Cause I can't agree with you more that, that Logan Kim's podcast and McKenna Grace's Phoebe were the standouts, like hands down. And I agree with you too here, Emmett, that Finn Wolfhart, I like that they put him as a supporting character, that he wasn't like the main guy, because that was my expectation going into this, right? That he was, he, he holds the star power in that, in that young, early teen, whatever it is, space. And I thought they're going to run with him and put this on his back. But the fact that they relied on the other two who have this awesome chemistry, they're funny, the delivery is on point, and they're believable kids. They are getting into the mix of it. You know, some of it maybe you can say, well, this girl will never grab the proton pack or this kid would never grab this trap. I, you just got to suspend the belief and just they're just kids being kids. I grew up in a small town. And you do stuff like that. You go to a field and you shoot stuff. You know what I mean? With with your like slingshot or whatever. And I, I love that exploration the two of them do in this. And they they definitely hold this down. Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd, again, I love that they're supporting characters. And they they supported certain aspects of the film. You know, I thought I love Paul Rudd and he's great in this. He brings a certain comedic element and comedic tone to this, but he also plays super well with the kids. And I I agree with Troy also. I'm agreeing with you guys a lot here because you're saying great stuff. That the fact that walking into this, you're like, ah, how are the kid? How are we gonna handle this? Because this is the first time that we've gone with the kids. 
But this goes back to what you were saying, Emmett, with your daughter. And I had this exact same sentiment about this is that it gives the kids a viewpoint in, a vantage point, a way to walk into this franchise. They've already got guys our age. They've already got the people that came in in 2016's Answer the Call. They've got the the real Ghostbusters kids. And so they've got this like multi-generational base. And now let's bring in the kids that love Finn Wolfhart, that have some attachment and can see themselves in these and these jumpsuits with these proton packs on. Like, this is such a cool way to construct this generational film to bring in your four quadrants. Like, everyone's going and seeing this because there's a little something for everyone. Even the people that have no connection, but like Paul Rudd, are going and seeing this film. So the cast and their chemistry and what they do is so important. And then they also pay homage to all of the original Ghostbusters as well. And that's much to your point again here, Troy, about what they did and didn't do in The Force Awakens and with that whole Star Wars trilogy. They just kind of let it all go here. So talk to me a bit more, Troy, about, about the cast here. You know, you touched on on podcasts and Phoebe being mm-hmm. just standouts in this. What about everyone else, even into the original Ghostbusters making their appearance? And Ray Stan's also making kind of that, that initial touch point in this and really gathering the gang back together. Yeah, the cast continues to be pretty good in this film. You know, podcast or podcast, uh, Paul Rudd delivers, obviously. I mean, that guy... <laughs> he's he's a pro, and I actually really like the idea of him being the uh, the summer school teacher and mm-hmm. his kind of dynamic of just not really wanting to be here. But then when he comes across um, uh, Phoebe, he's just like, okay, there's something here. I, I have a project here almost, and those two just hit it off. And and like you mentioned, Tim, like his chemistry with the kids and how he acts around them is actually like perfect. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. like this this Robin Williams like kind of you know uh, mentality that he has, and it actually reflects pretty well throughout the film. And then when he hits it off with the mom, I thought that was also great. And, and and going off the mom, I really liked how she plays her role because the beginning of the film, she's pretty much like down on her luck. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of takes the back seat a little bit, it seems, with the kids and it's just like whatever. But then she really turns it on once the kids get arrested. And then she becomes like mom mode and like lays down the gauntlet. So I really thought that was kind of a cool dynamic to show that she's not just a mom that's going to be walked over all the time. And then, um, you know, she obviously switches it up a little bit once she uh, gets possessed there, which I guess we'll get into uh, a little later. But um, the cast was great. And then obviously when we got the original Ghostbusters, you know, that was that was a treat. That was something special just to see those three not making cameos, but actually being like the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I um, maybe the, maybe one of the weaker parts and not necessarily weak. Maybe she just didn't have enough to do, which I could see why was the love interest of Trevor's. I think she was lucky. She was yeah. oh yeah, I think she was okay for what she was there for. But mm-hmm. um, all in all, I think this whole cast worked, and I really like actually the idea that Emmett mentioned that like with this like ever growing universe of Ghostbusters, you can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Like you can go back to Somerville and you can also continue like this Batman incorporated like of Ghostbusters yes. expanding in New York, <laughs> you know, like I think it's, it, I think it's really cool. And then those after credits were great for that. So uh, yeah, I'm all there for it, man. I'm all there for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I you, you brought a lot about the cast up already, but let's expand a bit there to, to lucky and to your thoughts, even on the, the relationship between Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon's characters here and on how they, played an important role and i like paul coming back to to paul rudd here him and phoebe like the chemistry come on that goes to show that mckenna grace's acting abilities the fact that she has meaningful relationships and palpable relationships with everyone whether it's trevor or her mom or even with egon right like the little chess stuff that they're doing and the back and forth 
that they have in there. Like it's all believable, which is so impressive with an actress of that age. Yeah, she had a tough job too because they were basically making her the Egon character, and yes. she was trying to do the you know the monotone, super serious scientist like Egon, like Harold Ramis perfected. Um, so she had a very she had the hardest job out of everybody. You know, Paul Rudd is basically Paul Rudd. Yeah. Uh, which again, we love Paul Rudd. Um, Carrie Coon was like Troy was saying, she's more of the motherly figure, um, a little more pessimistic than I expected her to be. Um, you know, Finn Wolfhard is just Finn Wolfhard, and obviously the three Ghostbusters. They're the three Ghostbusters and podcast. Um, no, he's basically a brand new actor, brand new character. So he can kind of uh, freewheel it. But, you know, having, you know, McKenna Grace be, you know, um, the Phoebe being the Egon, being the scientist, um, she had the hardest job. And I think she pulled it off, too. It did, it, ne- it never felt forced that, mm-hmm. oh, she just, you know, just acting like Egon, you know, just just trying to be, you know, Egon 2.0 or whatever. Um, and I think she she played it very well. Um, and it, Tim, you mentioned it all the way back with turning on the proton pack, like her doing that stuff, not being afraid. You know, that mm-hmm. plays all the way back to the first time we saw her when she's digging into the walls at her house, trying to hook up power yes. and steal power and all that kind of stuff. You know, she plays her character perfectly because she understands who she is. You know, she she's cool with being the fr- person with no friends. She's cool with being the smartest person in the whole room because that's exactly who Egon was. Egon knows mm-hmm. he's the scientist. He knows he's the smart one. Um, he knows he knows everything about you know crossing the streams and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. So, you know, again, McKenna Grace was great, um, and I think she had the hardest job out of everyone because. Like I said, you know, she had to, she, she had the, the weight of her grandfather on her shoulders. Um, you know, and by the end of it, she had that weight off her shoulders because her grandfather was standing right beside her, guiding her mm-hmm. um, into being a better person, a better Ghostbuster. Um, you know, and the same thing that goes with her mother, you know, Miss Egon was on her, her granddaughter's shoulders. You know, he was on her, her daughter, his daughter's shoulders as well. Um, you know, everyone got the weight lifted off their shoulder from Egon and, you know, it's, this is kind of a different tangent altogether, but having Egon, having Harold Ramis be like the central part of the story yes, is such a bold and crazy move and something Wild. like I didn't expect that a hundred percent. No, no way did I expect there to be a force ghost in this movie. No, no way did I expect the movie to open with an alive Egon Spangler driving a truck. Obviously we don't mm. see his face, but there's no way I expected that. No way that I thought that when Phoebe was to call Ray Stans at the bookshop, Ray Stans to say, Egon Spangler is dead to me. There's no way I saw that coming. That, you know, the 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 the, the turns that the characters made, the the story places that they went because of the characters, um, is it's just ridiculous to me. And and that's another thing where, you know, nostalgia plays a part. This isn't nostalgia. The Ghostbusters, you know, giving up on each other. That's not the Ghostbusters, no. you know, the, 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 that there was a story after Ghostbusters 2, that Ghostbusters continued after Ghostbusters 2 with all of our characters. And Ray, you know, Ray tells it out, you know, the, the Reagan eras, you know, as soon as he was gone, the, the economy went down and, you know, they sold the uh, the firehouse to us. It's a Starbucks now and all that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the, the way that our characters have a weight on their shoulders and the way that they you know, eventually by the end of it, get that weight off their shoulders because of Egon Friggin Spangler is outstanding to me. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is, that is kind of a theme that's pulled through this, right? Is broken relationships and them being mended by, by the end of the film. And let's just pull on that thread a little bit about Harold Ramis and Egon Spangler, because I have to say, along with you, I had no clue that this is the direction they're going. And the fact that he played such a pivotal piece in this, I expected some references and, 
I, I thought it was going to be a much more amicable, you know, the way he died or the way he passed or where they separated and there's a relationship with his, his daughter and then his grandchildren. I did not expect them to go in this direction. One, that broken family style direction. And it turns out it's for the sacrifices he's making for humanity, but also to have him be a character throughout the entire film, the start as a ghost playing with the lights and showing Phoebe around like he's got his hand on her shoulder. And then of course the end, the whole force ghost thing like that is when I was like, no way. And I love that. He didn't talk. He didn't Mm -hmm. need to talk. Right. So expressive in the face. You've got a lot of that emotional attachment already to this character because you've been with him through the whole film. Yeah. And the way that he's guided his daughter, the way, and you want to complain about something. Why did everyone just buy into this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As as a fan sitting there watching this, you just kind of accept it. You're in a movie called Ghostbusters. There's a ghost showing someone around. Just buy into it. I loved it. I loved that Harold Ramis had a role in this because that's a big question mark, right? And we've seen this, again, coming back to Star Wars, where what are the effects of a main cast character that is meant to be in a film or was always meant to be in a film and is not alive anymore? What can they do that is inclusive of their their character, but also honoring the legacy and honoring the person too and not being so in your face with it. This mm-hmm. to me was unbelievable. Troy, Harold Ramis, Egon Spangler, him having a presence in this film, was that a surprise to you the same way it was for, for myself and Emmett? Oh, 100%. Completely thrown off by it, but I absolutely just embraced it because... Like I mentioned too, like with the opening credits, right? Or opening scene that we have like this very well shot, you know, staying away from the face, but you still got the body. You can still mm-hmm. determine who it's meant to be. Um, I was like, okay, we're in for something something special. And then they hit you with um, kind of like a one-two punch, right? Because at the very end of the film, our new heroes are pretty much on their knees about to be defeated. But then the Ghostbusters come in there to save the day. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, problem solved. These guys are going to win. But then they get defeated. And I'm like, well, shoot, what are they going to do? Like, this is it. And then it's like, oh, no. They bring out the big guns. And Force Ghost Egon comes in. And I was just like, I, I like I said before, I could not help but make the connection to Star Wars. Just like, why did we not get this? <laughs> not on the first attempt, the second attempt, or the third attempt. Like, why? And I thought they just did such a great job. And I thought he looked really, really good. Awesome. You know, he looked great. And like you mentioned, too, like, yeah, it's Ghostbusters. So really, like, it makes all the sense that Egon mm-hmm. would be a Force Ghost. Now, any other property next to Star Wars? Yeah. It totally makes <laughs> sense, right? So I completely applauded. And, you know, I went on a Sunday showing, so there wasn't as many people there. But the people that were there were all kind of had, like, that little bit of, like, Infinity War gasp. Like, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? And it was it was a treat. It was, it was a big, big treat. And I can only imagine, you know, being there on a Friday or a Saturday night with, like, the true heavy hitters of the Ghostbusters. Just that crowd must have just been lightning. So, mm-hmm. oh, man, yeah. amazing time. And I think that's where a lot of this emotional journey comes from for a lot of people is that this is where the tears were, right? That they did this so well and honored the man that was Harold Ramis and this character mm. Egon Spangler and and this is so important in this right cuz it it could have gone very poorly yeah right it could have gone in a direction that was it just didn't make sense or you know you put him in here and the movie doesn't land the way it does and that it, it does it, it taints this whole thing but the respect that they gave him and I know it was at the blessing of the family as well. They, they had full permission to to use his likeness. And I do believe they actually requested that he not speak, which 
I think for the story, it was it was way better than yeah. You know that might have taken you a little bit out of it if he had said something, but like I said before, like the expressions on his face, it all it all just worked, and the technology that they're using is is unbelievable. It's scary. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> so the discussion that we've had here so far is is primarily based around the first two acts right is it's the build the reintroduction to the ghostbusters we get a lot of that nostalgic with the traps and the proton packs we spent a lot of time with the kids and growing to love them and what they're doing and that exploration as to what this is the end of the world is coming you know we have the dirt farmer who is prepping for something for years and why would egon leave his family and we kind of start to find that out it's teased throughout the film through the mountain and we get Kind of, again, this idea of familiarity with Gozer and the Terror Dogs, things that we've seen before. we got the Marshmallow Man kind of chucked in there as well, which is kind of just a nice nod. It doesn't have a lot of story impact, but it's just there because, you know, Marshmallow Man. How could you not include him in this? And we start to see ghosts popping up. We get Muncher, the Metal Muncher, which is kind of like your Slimer, if I can uh, make a, a relatable character to that. And then we really get into the heavy third act where we do deep dive into that realm of Ghostbusters. And I will say every Ghostbuster film, I think has a very similar build where you have kind of this build of the characters, the city, the setting, everything coming out. And then you get very fantastical at the end, both Ghostbusters one and two, both do the same thing. And they, they at times feel a bit divergent from the feel and the vibe and the tone that they set in the first two acts. And this one does a very similar thing. And so let's, Troy, let's bring in the ghost-busting aspect of this. When we get mm-hmm. to our third act and we get Gozer in her human form, we get mm-hmm. the terror dogs, we get the gatekeeper thing going on again with the key master and the mating and, and all of that coming together. Mm-hmm. This, this to me, is where I, it's necessary, but if I was to fault the film a little bit, it would be in this sequence here. Mm. I'm right there with you. This is this is definitely the weakest part of the film for me. And I feel like it's always, like you kind of mentioned, has been the weaker parts for the other mm. Ghostbuster films too, if I recall. And, you know, I guess it's just the, the Ghostbusters uh, mythology, but the whole, was it the Terror Dogs making um, uh, the, the, the big bad? Gozer. Uh, Gozer. It's, it's really weird. And I mean, I guess they've already established that mythology. So, mm. I mean, they could have tried to do different things. They could have maybe even tried just to create an all new villain. But um, it's 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 really it's really weird watching like Paul Rudd and the mom get possessed and then they do their whole thing and I'm like ah like you know when we went back to Ghostbusters one it kind of aged kind of weird and watching it right now this time around it doesn't work any better if not kind of worse so that's that's probably the weakest part of the film for me is this whole and I think this is when it kind of relies too on the nostalgia a little bit too much where it's like it just doesn't come off original. And it almost mm. comes off a little lazy for for my viewing at least. I thought they could have they could have done so much because the first two acts are so strong and so original, but they give you little hints and things from yeah. from the past films. But here they dive so deep to it's like a pound for pound third act um, retelling where I'm like, Ugh, could have done without it. Um, and you know what? Uh, the Walmart scene didn't really because I think this is leading up to it as well. The Walmart yeah. scene was. A little too long for me i i get like the nostalgia over the you know the marshmallow man like who doesn't forget that guy um but it went on a little long that scene and they're mm-hmm. like 
killing each other off is is, is a little bit weird for me. Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of like, okay, look, let's just let's just get to the end now at this point. But um, but it, it changes though because once we get to like that final battle scene, it picks up for me. And obviously, mm-hmm. we already went over the whole ending of that. But yeah, this is probably where I take away a few points of the film is just this third quarter, this third act was a little off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they could have done. To, to improve on that because i i look mm-hmm. at like the build-up and the lead-up and the whole thing in the temple with the proton and then shooting into the hole like i loved all of that and kind of like mm-hmm. this 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 pattern of when gozer emerges and that whole build-up i think they set the foundation very yep. very well but it's in that execution that just that yeah. little bit you're very 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 much right just that little gozer bit with the pterodox mm-hmm. and all that there's something there that just just didn't work the same way yeah and because the with the other ghostbusters the end villain always feels out of place yeah i don't know what yeah. it is Emmett, are you gotta sitting in the same camp as troy and i with this one if if you're to knock it back it would be for this or do you see the importance of having them finish the story because like the underlining thing here is that the one reason egon would leave his family is because he knows gozer right he knows what this can do and so like narratively it works Maybe an execution. So where, where are you sitting on this one? I would say the execution. I, I have no problem with with any of it. The, I, the only thing I felt like it was a little bit rushed to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's there there could be an extra 10 minutes to the to the final uh, little bit, especially when um, when both the terror dogs are up there and, and you know, Phoebe kind of goes up and starts telling her jokes. Um, yeah. And podcast is driving the, uh, the ghost trap <laughs> underneath one of the, the dogs, and she's telling her jokes, and and then all of a sudden he's, you know, they suck the ghost in. Uh, I think it was their uh, Phoebe's mom, and then they're off again. Yeah, I feel like that stuff was just a little bit rushed to me, and they could have um, expounded on it a little bit more, and maybe not played it up. You know, w- one of my biggest issues with the movie is it tries to be funny too much. Um, I think podcast is too funny too often, which is a weird thing to say. And, and the idea about Phoebe trying to be funny, that's kind of her shtick is, you know, Trevor's teaching her jokes about trying to fit in. I didn't feel like that, her telling the jokes at the end to Gozer didn't really work for me. Um, mm. You know, I, I all I thought of was Guardians of the Galaxy with Peter Quill dancing in front of uh, uh, Ronan the Accuser. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing that? That's just annoying, really. Uh, maybe that was kind of the point, too. Um, but you know, I have no problem with, with, you know, the over-reliance on, you know, the ending of basically Ghostbusters one, uh, mm-hmm. with the gatekeeper and the, and the key master and the, and Gozer and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, Gozer's kind of got a little bit of an updated, uh, look. Um, yeah, yeah. and like you said, Tim, I like the stuff in the cave. I like the idea of Shandor, you know, waking mm-hmm. up and being like, Oh, Gozer. And you know, you're my queen and all that kind of stuff. And her just <laughs> ripping him right straight in half and be like, get <laughs> out of my way, you loser. Um, that was a cool you know, connection. so that like kind of the... stuff, you know, that kind of. Yeah, and that kind of subverted the expectation a little bit too. You know, Shandor, you know, mm-hmm. is the Gozer uh, appreciator and, you know, wants Gozer back and all that kind of stuff. And Gozer could give two shits about uh, about Shandor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then jumping right ahead to the the end when the, the, the Ghostbusters, the three Ghostbusters show up and, you know, they're kind of playing the uh, Ghostbusters one ending over again where Gozer's like, are you gods? And what do we all do? We all look at Ray and say, Ray, Ray, say you're a god. Okay, don't <laughs> screw it up again, right? So th- that kind of stuff just played in my head where, you know, I, I liked it. I like I liked how mm-hmm. it went. Sure, it, it could have been done a little bit differently and maybe it could have played out a little bit uh, longer or maybe a little bit tighter in certain scenes. But I didn't have a, 
uh, a, a real uh, uh, negative thing to think about while it was happening, especially because um, by that point it was full on. Okay, the Ghostbusters are showing up soon. Yeah. I feel like they got to show up soon. You know, we saw Ray that little bit, but you know they're going to be showing up soon, and something's going to be happening. And I'll be happy when they're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, it's your point. It's that maybe pulling that out a little bit because this is when the film almost aesthetically changes a little bit for me too. It feels, you know, we're moving to like the biggest part of the film and this is where it felt like it was shot. I don't know if this is a COVID thing or whatever, but this is almost, this feels more like sets to me yeah. uh, the, in the cave. And even on the, the farm at the end though, they, they feel smaller to me and I have no issue with them using Go- Gozer and leveraging all of that past stuff. Like I said, it narratively makes sense. But it ultimately leads to this beautiful ending. You know, we have all the traps. The dirt farmer thing comes to fruition as to what exactly he was doing. And we see, you know, our Ghostbusters. Like, I had to to echo what you guys thought. It was really cool to see all of them back together again. And then when you throw in Harold Ramis and Egon and them crossing the streams and then her uncrossing them (laughs) was really cool. So there's a nice little play and a little learning from, from Ghostbusters 1. And then I think it ends in a in a very satisfying way. Mm-hmm. It's the ending that we expect, but this being a, a sequel and I think a true bridge film, it ends in a way where, like you pointed out, Emmett, that we can go in multiple different directions. We can take this franchise, or they can take this franchise, and really do whatever they want with it because they've established such a strong foundation here. And I'm excited for what's next. I'm excited to see where this Ghostbusters franchise go. And I can't wait to talk more about it. It, it. It's it's brought me back into a place that I feel so happy that we, we've finally, after all the delays, we've seen Ghostbusters Afterlife. And, and what a way to end the film. And I sat there when the film ended. I was like, shoot, there must be end credit scenes. So I quickly Google, are there any end credit scenes? And yep, there's two. So we get the first one that is Bankman and... Sigourney Weavers, Dana Barrett returning. I was so happy that we got this last little cameo in here and them having this back and forth, you know, recreating that scene where Bankman's using the shock to 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 really lure women, which is kind of the sketchy piece of Peter Bankman. If you go back to our uh, Ghostbusters 1 review, Carlos talks extensively about this. <laughs> And then, uh, so that, that was a really great scene to see and having Sigourney Weaver reprise that role. And then the last one, Winston Zedmore becoming the financier for the Ghostbusters. I love that they've positioned Ernie Hudson to be a central figure in the next steps for the Ghostbusters. I think that is so cool. And it gives us, again, an awesome new direct like are they gonna form a new ghostbusters of adults or are they gonna keep the kids what are they gonna do troy these end credit scenes what do they do for you well first of all thank you for telling me that there's two because you and i going back and forth like hey man there's two post-credit scenes make sure you stay and i was like thank you because i would have never done that i wouldn't have thought about that with ghostbusters so like you mentioned the first one was great i love you know taking it back to the very first ghostbusters between peter and um and is, is that his wife now too are they married like in that universe, or they're they, just friends. I think so. I think. Oh, they are. They are I noticed right? that, okay, I yeah. noticed that yeah, on IMDb yeah, so. because they were yeah. together, and then in after Ghostbusters one, and then they were apart, and so they did get they yeah. did remarry. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a great scene. I I thought it was kind of funny. He's like, yeah, I use the shocker only on on the guys though. I yeah. thought that was kind of a <laughs> little funny too. But then the second one, 
post credit opens beautifully with uh, Egon, and it's like I think it's like a deleted scene they said from the original Ghostbusters, and you see P- oh yes, see, sorry, yes. You see Egon. And um, that's the secretary. secretary yeah, Janine. Yeah, yeah. Janine, you see Janine. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like the actual footage, and then we get into Janine now, older and present day there with Winston. And I was just like, oh, this is good. So we meant to speculate that Janine and Egon, like that's their kids. Well, that's funny because right? that was the assumption I always made from the from the trailers that Janine was yeah. the mom, but. Right. I don't think so because no. Carrie Coon's character would have called her mom, right? Like the, That's she was thought. just a, a friend, a caretaker right. for Egon, and right. I I thought for sure after first year I was like Janine's the mom, right? Yeah, and like yeah. she was coming and they were cleaning out the old house because you know Egon had gone crazy and they 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 had separated and all this, but yeah, yeah. so that I didn't know that that was a, a deleted scene, that scene with the two. So what's the significance of the coin then? She uh, I don't know he, that one. She gives it to him. Uh, they each have one, and it's from like the World's Fair, nineteen eighty four or something. Okay. So she has a coin, and he has a coin. Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. Close. But then they just never quite hit it off, I guess. Then, and he fell in love with someone else. Well, and... when you think about Egon, do you think about family? Do you think about and obviously, in in, 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 in that's what Carrie Coon's saying, right? He's not about yeah. family. He's about like yeah. protecting his family. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but he's not about Egon. Ain't having no sex, man. Egon's <laughs> playing with more. Spores, molds, and fungus, and he's hanging out in the basement, and he's you know playing with ghosts and that kind of stuff, right? Obviously, he did have sex because Carrie Coons is his daughter, but you know he's more of like the scientific nature to it. He probably you know yeah. took notes afterwards. Yeah, um, research. You know. I did this for and research. Him and Janine, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's for research. So uh, him and Janine are more the platonic thing, and you know yeah. when when you go take it back to the first Ghostbusters, you know who is Janine hanging out with? He's hanging out with uh, Rick Moranis' character, mm-hmm. right? And in so they number have two, more they're making a, out and all that too. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's two. They more have more right. have the sexual relationship. It's more of a mm-hmm. a platonic and more friendship, a more nurturing mm-hmm. relationship. I think Janine and Egon had. Um, that's the mm-hmm. sense I got, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so fill us in here on on Winston Troy. Where's this going? Oh yeah, man. Oh, listen. I, I like I mentioned. I think it's like that. Uh, that incorporated man. That Batman incorporated. Mm-hmm. That Avengers were going bigger. You know. I think it's um they're taking it back to New York City and maybe have like a Ghostbusters like Academy of some sort. Yeah. Oh. And expand. I think they're going to expand. I, I and I totally love what Emmett said because it's not like we only have to go that route. We can go both. We can go back mm-hmm. to Somerville. We can go also here in the big city. And uh, I'm up for it because I think it was. I think it was just after Ghostbusters 2016 or a little bit before, but Dan Aykroyd talked about, like, they want to do, like, big things with Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to just go one avenue. They, I think they said they want to do, like, a cartoon series. They want to do, like, a universe building in the movie properties. So I think this is a big indicator of what they're trying yeah. to do with this uh, post credit scene. Yeah. yeah, Sony's looking for franchise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and they got a bill. They got a, they got Spider-Man <laughs> maybe coming over. <laughs> but uh, in that, that big, much bigger universe. So, Emmett, these end credit scenes, what direction are we going here? Yeah, so I the one with uh, uh, Venkman and, and, and Dana, I almost expected Oscar to show up. Oh, uh, that's so cool. You know, have like Oscar. Oscar can be a Ghostbuster. And, you know, uh, you know, if Zedmore has a kid, he's a, he's another Ghostbuster. Um, you know, and, and way back, that was the the route that Harold Ramis wanted to take the Ghostbusters. You know, I think he had hired or somebody had hired the writers from year one, that movie with Jack Black and Michael Sarah that mm-hmm. Harold Ramis directed to write a Ghostbusters movie. 
And it was basically just be like, you know, Seth Rogen and Michael Sarah and, you know, Paul Rudd to yeah. be the Ghostbusters, right? So that would have been horrible because they basically did that with the 2016 version, but uh, female uh, version. Just bring out the funniest people and make a Ghostbusters movie. That's the mm-hmm. complete wrong way to make a Ghostbusters movie, as obviously we see that afterlife. This is the way to make a Ghostbusters movie. Um, but I think now, I think that's the way to do it. You know, Zedmore's got to have a kid. I think, uh, you know, Oscar should be. Um, should be a Ghostbuster, um, you know, and I, and I and I like that, you know, Ernie Hudson is the guy, you know, Bill mm. ain't coming back no more, but Bill's no. old, you know, Dan Aykroyd, he, he, he's a cameo he guy. ain't doing it no more. Exactly. So, you know, Ernie Hudson, he's probably the youngest one of the three now. He's definitely I aged he the is. best. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. So, you know, he's the right way to do it, you know, and I like the Batman Incorporated way of, of mm. saying, it. I think that's a really fun way. Um, where he's the you know the money and you know there's lots of uh, different you know busting ghosts going uh, going around, um, yeah and I, I love that the the reveal for Sigourney Weaver too because it says uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Sigourney Weaver and I'm like wait a second she wasn't in the movie and then mm-hmm. it cuts right to their scene yeah. which is a which is a, a ton of fun yeah yeah it's just a great way to to end this you know we you have this this amazing experience and then you get a taste of potentially what's next and it sounds like we all we all a whole lot more ghostbusters i don't think that uh that jason reitman has steered us wrong here and and that's gonna bring us to a closing guys we're gonna we're gonna give our letter grades give our closing thoughts on ghostbusters afterlife so i invite you up to the to the mic here emmett give your closing thoughts and uh and your letter grade i'd give it an a um it's my favorite movie of the year as in favorite like i could watch this movie every day um, I want to watch it already. I want to watch it again. I want to rent mm-hmm. it as soon as possible and watch it nonstop. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I also had a, a very emotional experience with it, one that I didn't expect. Uh, like I said, I wasn't expected to be emotional by Egon Spengler, by Harold <laughs> Ramis. Um, I didn't expect that to happen, and maybe that's how they got me uh, emotionally and uh, in my heart and in my uh, my love of the movie, but giving me something... Um, that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great time. You know, you mentioned the the critics off the top, Tim. I think they're old and grumpy for some reason. I've read one <laughs> review and it's basically just sounds like an old guy yelling at the clouds. Um, I think if you go into this movie, uh, you know, with any, any kind of expectations um, or love of Ghostbusters, I don't see why you wouldn't like this movie. Um, and for those fans that aren't full-on Ghostbuster fans just casual fans i still think there's enough in this movie to enjoy it like i said three quarters of the movie before the 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 old team show up is still a very good movie i had a i I had a ton of fun before the uh the battle at at the at the at the farm on the dirt farm and then as soon as the old ghostbusters show up it just amplified it that much more um to me i i love the movie it's it's my favorite movie of the year troy final thoughts here yes sir man um this film took me by surprise i had a blast with this film i think it's the perfect example of putting new uh life into a property a current mm-hmm. property and i feel like this is this they did all the right steps to bring out the franchise that much further and uh we're experiencing ghostbusters in his afterlife because it was kind of dead uh 2016 and i feel like it's it's back full tilt here i think for new fans you, uh, you're gonna have a blast and for current fans uh, original fans oh geez like much like you two you're in for a treat. You can't go wrong. I thought the score was awesome. I think it's extremely well directed. You could feel all the the passion in this. This is mm-hmm. definitely like a passion project uh, that just really respected the original property. 
And uh, it was overall just just a great movie. I think it's very well acted. I think we got a few breakout stars yes. uh, coming out of this film, especially um, much like Emma said too. I was not expecting that whole Egon moment, and it, it, it hit me pretty hard. I was like, "Wow, this this is this is great. This is possible to do with other uh, franchises." Hopefully, down the road, I'm looking at the Ahsoka uh, show. Hopefully, <laughs> but um, no. Overall, this this was this is a great movie. I recommend it for a lot of people out there to go check it out on the big screen and even at home when this comes out. I'm definitely buying this yes. day one to watch at home uh, with with the family. So I, I give this movie honestly a solid B plus. Great, great time at the film with this, or great time at the theaters with this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put, man. Well, and what more can I say? other than echo your guys thoughts here about the, the it surprised me in ways I was not expecting it was everything I wanted it to be if I'm being completely honest it it delivered on every single level the nostalgic the paving new ways the delivering new stars respecting and elevating I think the legacy of Ghostbusters it did everything right and like you guys said this is a film for newcomers to the franchise you can go explore so much if you got just a little bit out of this this is the right thing for it being a sequel to the originals that 30 year 32 years we've been waiting for a sequel for this and here it is boom it delivered and that's that's not an easy feat to meet those expectations so i love it for that i'm giving this one a solid a as well I adore this thing. Get out there and watch this. And like you said, Troy, as soon as Sonny sends us the link for the Steelbook, mm. buy it for me. <laughs> 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 so there it is, guys. Overwhelmingly positive reviews. A great discussion about Ghostbusters Afterlife. So get out there. See the film on the big screen. This is a, I saw this on Thursday night, guys. Thursday night. The first movie since Far From Home that I saw on opening night or a quote-unquote opening night with being the Thursday showing. So get out there, experience this in the big screen, and uh, and just let us know what you think about Ghostbusters. If if you want to do that, you can always email us at nerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything that we do over there at nerdroom.net. The hunt is real. You can see some Ghostbusters stuff over there on Instagram at the NerdRM. You can also head over to our, our YouTube channel, the Nerd Room Podcast, and see some more Ghostbusters and toy collecting and all this crazy stuff. Ian's got an, uh, just an incredible video that's going up here tomorrow where he walks through Toy Sapien, which is the official hot toy store in Tokyo, Japan. It is freaking unreal. So get over there to our YouTube channel. We're dropping a video a week there that has to do primarily with toys. We're trying to expand that out a little bit. Go over there and give us a sub. Give us a like. Check those videos out. Ian's doing awesome. Ian will hopefully be back on the podcast next week to talk Hawkeye. You know, we're coming off of this this heater of a discussion about Ghostbusters Afterlife, and we're literally tomorrow going straight into episodes one and two of Hawkeye, and we're, we're resurrecting via the nerd. We're having a live stream with our boys over at Vigilante 1939 on Friday talking. So that's tomorrow if you're listening to this day of drop. That is tomorrow talking about Hawkeye episodes one and two, and we may sneak a little bit of that No Way Home discussion into there as well. And if you're a fan of the Beyond Jurassic Park, Jurassic World dropped the prologue to that movie online today. There's a five-minute clip of Jurassic World Dominion, which comes out next summer. The clip they showed in front of Fast and the Furious is out there as well. So we've got a ton of stuff to experience and to talk about in the Nerd Room over the next few weeks. And that's not even including No Way Home and Episode 300 here in the Nerd Room. The Book of Boba Fett, Matrix, 
Like there's so much coming. We are so blessed here in the nerd space and we're having so much fun with it. And last but not least, Twitter, you can find our handles at the end of the episode. You can find us and Emmett rolling around there talking about everything Star Wars, Marvel, DC and beyond. So before we exit here, I'd like to give a big shout out to our man Emmett for joining us tonight. Thank you, sir, for bringing the heat with this review, bringing the love and passion to Ghostbusters. I want you to give a shout out of where people can find all your other work that's going on in the background here. Well, first of all, thanks so much, Tim and Troy, for having me on. Um, it's a real pleasure to be on the Nerd Room talking with uh, you fine gentlemen. Um, you can just follow me at Twitter on Twitter at Emmett Davis Seven. Thanks, guys. Awesome, awesome, man! Absolute pleasure. And we're gonna send us off here. I'm gonna throw that that song, that McKenna Grace song, and I throw it at the end of the episode here because I love that closing out the haunted house one. Come on, it was so good. So you're gonna hear that on so the good. close. <laughs> So, guys, for this week, for the new room, on behalf of Emmett and on behalf of Troy, I'd like to thank you guys so much for entering the new room, and we will talk to you guys next week. Because a ghost never leaves a haunted house. Never leaves a haunted house.